Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we're talking to Nikki Bartlett, fresh off her win at Marbella 70.3. She tells us about how when she started out, it took her hours to make it through a swim at training camp, but she was determined to become a pro triathlete. And she tells us how she's now found happiness and loves what she does. But first, Sid Talks is back with the most important question. Laura Phillips, 818 at Ironman Hamburg, Kat Matthews, 731, and Christian Blumenfeld, 645 at the Sub 7, Sub 8 project. What was the most impressive performance this weekend? And what do we want to see more of in the future? All of that after this short break. Want to get more out of your rides beyond just distance, time, and pace? How about advanced navigation and the ability to see upcoming hills on your route? The Hammerhead Karoo 2 helps you find your path forward and unlock your full potential. Hammerhead's Karoo 2 seamlessly imports routes with turn-by-turn directions. The touchscreen display is also intuitive, responsive, and in full color, so you can see clearly in any conditions during all of your hardest workouts. Plus, Hammerhead's exclusive predictive path technology lets you visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient changes in real time with or without a route loaded. That's why it's a favorite of top triathletes like Flora Duffy and Vincent Louis. Now, Hammerhead is giving Triathlete Hour listeners an exclusive limited time offer. Get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code TRIATHLETEHOUR at checkout to get yours today. Now that's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karoo 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart, and use promo code TRIATHLETEHOUR, all one word. All right, we're back with Sid Talk. Sid, I feel like I have like a public service announcement for everyone that I need to share from my race experience this weekend. Apparently, you need to change the batteries, not just in your derailleur, but also in your shifters. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, when I saw that post, and I'm going to say happy birthday as well. Thank you. Before, although that were a couple of days ago, where by the time the, the podcast comes out. Um, when I saw that, I did was like, I'm going to charge my bike just in case. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know. What I, yeah. Did you know, yeah. like, there are batteries in I the shifter? Have, yeah. I just have one charging point. I no, just no, no. It into one no, hole. it's not a charger. Yeah. It's a 2032 battery yeah. that you have to, like, pull back the tape and, like, find and, like, change in the shifter. Oh, uh-huh. no, I didn't know that. Yeah. What have you got, though? What you I got, got ETAP. Uh, I'm Shimano oh, well. too, so maybe that's different. There yeah. you go. I See, this is stuff in. I learned. One plug-in. <laughs> it's all good learning. It reminds me a little bit about um, Steph Hansen from Wits Up <laughs> when she went to Roth and for, first of all left the battery on charge in her accommodation on race morning when she was halfway through the swim. And then the following year, we all kind of like joked with her and said, you know, had she... Oh, no, that was the first year she forgot to charge it and so got halfway around the race. And then the next year we all joked with her saying, oh, did you remember to charge it? Which she was like, yes, fingers up to you. I did remember to charge it, but then she'd left it in the accommodation. (laughs) (laughs) So um, as we both head to Roth, let's make sure we charge all of our bikes and put all our batteries back on. Yeah, I cannot tell you how many people... 
respond to me with like, oh, I didn't know ETAP also had a battery in the shifter. So now yeah, you know. I wouldn't, <laughs> Lesson I wouldn't learned. Known, I wouldn't have known that about ETAP either. So, yeah. I know. I like I Googled. I watched a YouTube video. I'm like a bike expert now. So <laughs> after dropping out go. of my race. <laughs> yeah. yeah, But then when I both, but it, I mean, gosh, it did look miserable weather in Alcatraz. Oh, I mean, yeah. I think, yeah, I think dropping out might have been at that situation the best outcome. The thing they did that I've never seen before, you know, I mean, they've canceled the swim like once before, but what they did this time, the fog was so thick, they dropped us off right next to shore. And then we had just had to swim along the shore for the whole like mile and a half. Oh, wow. Because oh. you like couldn't see. So like it was unsafe yeah. for boats to just like drop all yeah. 1500 people out in the middle of the bay because like yeah they wouldn't be able to see them and you couldn't see where you were going and they put lights on the back of the lead boat and you were kind of just like following this light so no one could see and it was also way narrower then so you were kind of like bumper bowling your way like you'd like hit something and be like oh not that's too far that yeah. way <laughs> like, <come back. laughs> so yeah it was it was I mean, interesting that- yeah, I mean, that's a little bit the experience of Alcatraz, isn't it? Because normally, even if there isn't any fog, they drop you off a boat and there's no, like, there's no buoys or no. sighting. It's just, like, head for land and it's in that direction and we'll see you on, on shore kind of thing. I did so, forget yeah. how, uh, or not forget, maybe, but it was a very brutal swim. I forgot how intense, like, age yeah. group, pack, mass, all funneled in together swims can be. And especially when you're jumping off the boat, yeah. so it's not like you you you've only got a narrow a narrow opening into yes. the water that you're jumping off, and it's a bit different than if you're running into the <laughs> into a lake or into the ocean. You can kind of like spread out straight away. When you're jumping off, there's only so far you so can far. Kind of go. Yeah. So it was Fun an experience, you know. What is it? A learning experience. <laughs> yes. you feel better for it now right right <laughs> but there's actually a whole bunch of races this weekend that's what we're really here to talk about ironman hamburg was the women's ironman european championships the men's yes. is in frankfurt at the end of the month and the sub seven slash sub eight project presented by zwift brought to you by wahoo and phoenix, Fa- phoenix foundation. foundation yeah everybody yeah that was also this weekend so the big question is Sid is. Oh, don't ask me this. Don't ask me this. Cat Matthews <laughs> went seven thirty one at sub and 50, eight and fifty seven seconds and fifty seven <laughs> seconds. And Laura Phillip went eight eighteen at Ironman Hamburg, eight seconds off Chrissy Wellington's Iron Distance record from Roth. Yeah. Which is more impressive? Well, and add in Nicholas Spirig in only right. her second ever full distance event at the age of 40 with three kids. Let's put that one in there as <laughs> and well. And like broken ribs and COVID. And broken yeah. ribs. And <laughs> ha- yeah, exactly. Um, I hadn't realized. I mean, I heard, I knew she'd broken her arm or something or her elbow, but I hadn't realized the crashes like collarbone and ribs and everything. I think she kept that pretty quiet. But, you know. She came back from a broken hand and then came second in at the Rio Olympic Games kind of thing with an amazing swim. So to be fair, she's pretty akin to breaking bones and then having amazing performances. Um, Gosh, which performance is better? I don't know. I can't answer that question. I'm going to sit on the fence because I think like Laura Phillips' performance, and I I really hope it doesn't get overshadowed because I think it was incredible to to do that, to go 8.18, like, you know, be seven seconds off 
Chrissy, you know, well, she, one, she posted the Ironman branded world fastest time. Which we don't call them own, records anymore, apparently. Exactly. I'm being very careful. Um, and to be only eight seconds off Chrissy Wellington's fastest known time or fastest time over that iron distance in Roth is just spectacular. I mean, but we know Laura is such, we know she's so incredibly talented and such an amazing athlete we saw her race doing the 70.3 in dubai mm-hmm. i think it was early this year and she put i think it was the world fastest time for a half distance down mm-hmm. at that race you know and again known to be notoriously fast race um you know it was a shame when she pulled she had to she couldn't make it to st george um because that i think would have been an exciting showdown and then coming back off covid and she raced the weekend before and a half and then to come out and do do that performance is pretty spectacular i didn't actually i, I was i was flicking between the two events and yeah, yeah. um i didn't realize she was going quite that fast kind of thing i knew she was she looked ama- like she looks amazing when she runs it's so magical to watch but i didn't realize until i went back to see like the times at the end i was like oh gosh 818 that's ridiculous that's really fast. yeah it only um, st- sounds like not fast in comparison yeah, to like the seven the, to the sub seven sub eight yeah. but you know i think i i got sucked in i loved the sub seven sub eight project it's not trying to claim that it's no. world records it's not they are fully aware that it was like you had drafting on the bike and that's the ma- the most the biggest difference and yeah you had you know you had drafting in the swim and there were some special wetsuits which and then you know some prototype shoes being used in the run and you had paces on the run and it was all set up to see how fast the athletes could go and I just think it was I think they did a fantastic production I loved it I and I was fascinated by like the team dynamics how they picked their team how they put their paces um how they did you know how they did work everything on the bike and yes all of christian's team were on the new bike which was interesting and all that yeah yeah we actually got a bunch of details on that new bike um it's pretty fun all right so fine 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 from a spectator standpoint you were pro (laughs) sub seven sub eight because they did nail the broadcast they did have like very good cameras very good broadcast whereas like the ironman broadcast um you know, it's, I'm not like they have a different challenge because they have to cover like a whole course and then you have like yes. spots where it drops out. It's very easy to do a broadcast inside a racetrack. Like it's yeah. much more controlled. And, and, you know, yeah, look, we've seen that from the clash race yeah. as well. And also, you know, I think sub seven, sub eight, it, it's the guys that do. I, I think I'm right. It's a similar sort of guys that do the Super League broadcast mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um also, you actually have more athletes. Yes, there are only four athletes racing, and there's argument that, hey, you can make a full-distance, long-course event exciting with just four athletes, which is kind of the trouble we have on, on the other the other broadcast. But there were more athletes because there was the whole team element. The whole the team. equipment element. And it was having... very funny. Like, all the different things they were coming yeah. up with, like the yeah. buying, like, a... What's the word? The a weed, weed whacker, weed, weed killer, killer. and spraying Joe Skipper with water. Apparently, <laughs> apparently it was going to be water guns to start with. And then I think it was Alistair Brownlee had the idea that, you know, he bought a weed killer off eBay or something or online. Um, and, you know, that was fantastic. And look, again, talk about performance of the weekend, taking nothing away from Christian. Um, absolutely just incredible again. But Joe coming in, both Joe and Kat, like Kat, came in a little bit earlier, obviously, before mm-hmm. Ironman's Worlds, but then almost had to find a whole team herself 
to you know there was, had been nothing really set up I think prior to that through with Lucy um so and whether she'd have wanted to take Lucy's team I don't know but Kat came in and then obviously developed all that herself but at pretty late pretty late notice Joe was like what eight days before and okay right. you might you might say it was the team was a lot more set up for Alistair being so close to the race so it was almost like you know take Alistair out just pop Joe in but still you know all the work with brands and sponsors and the fact mm-hmm. that I think Joe had Joe had raced the week before as well and could you do that, do that on eight days to notice? come and do that yeah well that's it and to be only <laughs> what was he three or four minutes behind yeah, yeah, yeah. Christian in the end like and and Joe ran his fastest ever marathon and you know, I really thought that the fact that Alistair stepped in as well and was part of Joe's team in the swim was impressive and was still part of the program. So, And yeah, Joe I also answered, as a fan. I, mean, I told my husband, like, if you've ever wondered what's the fastest you can do an Ironman distance bike as a team time trial, like, now we know. 318, yeah. that's the answer. Exactly, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, it was funny. You know, he obviously in a, in a skipper way had blasted out 315 or 316. Right, and I was he, like, it, psh- or no. no, or was it 3.20 that he thought yeah. he could do? Um, and then it was funny in some of the press conference, you, you could see him sort of backtracking a little bit on that, of going, oh, you caught me on the hop and I just like put it in. And then they went and went faster. Yeah. And I mean, know, he and- actually was completely within, he was within like 30 seconds or something of his predicted time, which yeah. was actually kind of funny. Because when he put the times out, when people put out their predicted times, his was the one that I was like, okay, Joe, sure. Yeah, exactly. That's it what you're going to do. Like, it was a classic <laughs> Joe thing, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like, yeah. But, he, you know, the same again, quite interesting. Cat's predicted times were were pretty out there, you know, 7.30. That's pretty brash to say you're going to go, mm-hmm. not just going to go sub eight hours, you're going to, you know, take half an hour off. Right. And I thought, um, not Lisa, obviously, um, Nicola and Christian were a little bit more conservative in their estimates, but maybe that was playing the game of Who you knows? Know, under promise over deliver. Is that the right way? I also think Cad, um, like if anyone in like, obviously Christian is like the bet, one of the best iron distance athletes period. Right. And he doesn't, yeah. he like nails pacing, but Cat may be one of the best pacers out there. Like she understands, totally. she does not fade. Yeah. Like she does not blow up. She does not fade. Like no. she just, so if she says she's going to run a 244 or whatever, like yeah. she runs a 244, like that's yeah. it. <laughs> like Exactly. You can, and you know, it was, it was fascinating watching that whole pacing, like in the swim, they just, you know, they, they built through the swim and, right. and, and again, like I go on, it was it, the other thing I found fascinating. The men had picked predominantly time trial specialists for <laughs> the bike and then like Christian had a, he had a specific swimmer, he had time trial specialists and he had runners for the run. Joe's again had, I mean, okay, Alistair's a triathlete, but he had Alistair on the swim. He had a specific time trial team for the bike and he had runner a runner on the run with him. Whereas the women, Nicola particularly, her team was predominantly triathletes, not all of them, but predominantly. And Katz had a mix. She did have some specific time trialists, specialists on the on the bike, but did have some triathletes in there and I thought that was really interesting to see as well because you know from a female racing you know those athletes and just mm-hmm. seeing them in that environment um and how they performed and the team camaraderie I just thought was, I think yeah, it was, was also an element cool. of like who they were friends with like there was a lot yeah. to that that was yeah. like who they wanted around yeah. for the whole to week be, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally which you know and, and you can understand that from yeah. one perspective when there's so much pressure on this and like 
going as fast as you can and you know ultimately yeah the bike was a massive part of it but your legs have still got to turn up for the run um but yeah who do you want to have in your going to meals and calming you down in that week it's your you know it's your friends sort of thing i did i did i thought like yes let's concede like we all like it wasn't a triathlon and i've heard and we heard a lot of complaining going in kind of from the general public that like well this is dumb like this is this isn't a triathlon but i felt like they actually embraced that and it was fine like it was it was it was funny watching like the weed whackers where it was really entertaining (laughs) when christian's bike pacer on the run crashed like trying to hit a water bottle yeah yes and (laughs) and the commentators are sort of pissing themselves about that as well yeah and i I, I felt like it was funny yeah yeah I, i think they did a good job and i know like you know, there's been comments now saying, you know, do we see more of that in triathlon? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look, why not? There's definitely, yeah. I, I don't think it's ever going to take over from what we traditionally know in our races, but why not have those kind of events? I know there's been talk about, I know, well, one have, on the one side, they say it's a one-off or it was a one-off, but I know yeah, there's but also like Chris already McCormick's talk about like already 730. Yeah. Exactly. Like, because it's, because it's a, it's an event that you can do. I mean, I've always said, and I'm not just saying this now, like the Collins Cup should be should be an individual on one day and a team event the next day. And like mm. you could have it as a team time trial on the swim bike run and you have to get, you know, everyone across the line. Yeah. You know, it's six it's six people in a team, isn't it? And you could do it either there's oh it's eight, isn't it? But whatever. You have to get like six, four six across the line. Team. Yeah. And yeah. you could either do it as a mixed team or you could do it as male and female and you have to mm. get x number across the line and then it's like right well who is your athlete that's going to mm. run it run across the line first and you're protecting them and how do you protect then who do you how do you protect them in the swim and the bike and who works for who and i think that could be especially if they've done the individual race it would be interesting day, yeah. i think that yeah. could be really exciting yeah um but yeah so i actually did like yeah. it i mean i've heard I mixed like i like i you know talked to plenty of regular triathletes and i know there are mixed reviews but i thought it was funny but i do think back to the original question sid that technically speaking laura phillips 818 in hamburg is more is the more impressive performance technically speaking because she ran the same as cat off yeah i know which is crazy but really here they're pretty comparable and really here i want to see laura versus cat versus daniela versus lucy in kona all together healthy versus Boom. Annie versus Annie Howe. Yes. But we already saw like, Daniela, yeah. Annie, and Kat. So now True. we need to add Laura True. and Lucy. We need Laura Phillips in yeah. and Lucy, yeah. And hopefully hopefully uh Lucy's injury uh, in it can come back to back to fitness in time for, for mm-hmm. the back end of the year. Um but I think yeah Laura Phillips against Kat and Daniela is a really and adding Lucy obviously is a really exciting exciting yeah. prospect. the same on the men's side you know we all want to now see the matchup of Jan and Christian uh, and maybe Gustav in there because we haven't really I know. Seen we haven't seen Gustav him yeah. in the mix so yeah and, Al- and then you throw in Alistair when he's fit <laughs> when he's fit and healthy it's exciting I oh, am yeah. like yeah. oh man you do have to be a little bit uh yeah. <laughs> I hope Christian rests I hope Christian gets some some sleep <laughs> I hope they all do. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's next. I would imagine after the last, after St, the build up to St George World Champs, and then 
this last four weeks. I hope they're probably all of them pretty. They're they're, they're riding that high, but they'll also be like that post, you know, what a post Olympic depression and that just well, I hope huge fatigue. Then they are actually normal <laughs> and not not completely superhuman. <laughs> completely. Hope oh, there's a there's this like saying or whatever that. You have to realize, like, the reason there's post-Olympic depression is because you achieve this thing you worked so hard for, and then you realize that, like, your life is still your life, and, like, not, like fundamentally you are still who you are, and, like, nothing changed. So so maybe yeah. that's what they're going through now. They're like, oh, I'm the best triathlete in the world, but also I'm still just got to do my own laundry. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got to do the laundry. Exactly. Exactly. Like, Can someone come and do my laundry? Because I'm really struggling at the moment. <laughs> 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 yeah it's a little too real yeah. all right well we will be watching all of it this summer and we will be back thanks for chatting with us sid from your unair conditioned apartment in girona yeah no. <laughs> no it is aircon i can't work out i'm meant to be an engineer and i can't work out how to work the air conditioning i'm sure i didn't have this problem last year but it doesn't seem to be working this year <laughs> just just google it youtube it it's fine don't forget, tens of thousands of cyclists have chosen the Karoo 2 as their trusted riding companion. It was named Bicycling Magazine's Editor's Choice in GPS Cycling Computers for the past two years. And now, Hammerhead is giving Triathlete Hour listeners an exclusive limited time offer. Get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code TRIATHLETEHOUR at checkout to get yours today. That's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karoo 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart, and use promo code TRIATHLETEHOUR, all one word. All right, this week we're talking to Nikki Bartlett, just fresh off her win at Marabella's any point, even has her athlete wristband on still. Are you recovered yet? <laughs> I'm so- <laughs> Oh my god, what a chopper. Like, I literally, I put it on, I kept it on because my dad uh, makes scrapbooks okay. from all of my races I do. So I thought, I'll keep it on because I was going down yesterday and he can, like, get it off me. And I came back and I was like, oh, I've still got it on. And I keep forgetting to cut it off. <laughs> it's- yeah, no, all good. Uh, a bit sleep deprived, but all good. Okay. Because you just, I mean, you did St. George two weeks ago, flew home, then this. I feel like everyone's had these, like, crazy travel arrangements. Everyone's kind of sleep deprived and confused about what day it is yeah i'm definitely confused like <laughs> especially because i don't really have like a, a standard weekly routine in training mm. I just, i'm not that kind of athlete um so i'm like what day is it what is going on i just i've got two eight and a half hours solid through the night sleeps now so i just need about a month worth <laughs> a month more um because obviously you don't really sleep going into a race in st george and we came back into like jet lag how and then um, went back out. So then we had an early flight. That's another rubbish night's sleep. And then the race. And then coming back. Um, so yeah, it's just I need sleep. <laughs> I was uh, we were. I was thinking about sleeping. How much do you sleep as a pro athlete? Like I just want to. Like is it over nine hours? Is it how much are we talking about? I try as much as possible not to have an alarm. Okay. Um, so there's two mornings a week where I have to with swims. Uh, the seven thirty a.m. swims. So they're not even horrendously <laughs> early at all. Um, which every age group would be like, I'm in work by then. Right. <laughs> um, so I try and just like let my body, cause like I have a quite late to bed routine. Um, so I like just have like no alarm and just relax with it. But I, I reckon about eight, anything between eight and nine hours. Okay. All right. That's, that seems reasonable. Um, yeah. yeah. With, with, yeah. 
And then every day I try my hardest. Like I'm not very good at napping in the day, but I will make time between sessions to switch everything off and just lie there with my dog in bed. <laughs> As we used to call that, whenever my cat would lay on me at the like at the end of a long training weekend, I would lay down on the couch and my cat would lay on top of me. And as long as the cat was laying on top of you, you had to stay laying down. We called it cat recovery. That was the, the rule. Yeah. yeah, Titch is my best recovery tool. They're like, if anyone asks what's my best recovery technique, it's uh, having Titch with me in bed because she just loves to sleep. All right, so we're going to talk, like, we yeah. jumped right into pro triathlon, but we're going to talk about how you got into triathlon in the first place. So <laughs> I uh, understand you didn't even really do any of the sports as a kid, and then you started rowing in university. No. How does one even get, first off, how does one yeah. even get into rowing? Is that like a thing in Great Britain? Does everyone do it? Well... I'm not going to lie, it's a bit of a funny story. So um, I used to do athletics, uh, not really seriously. We had a really good social life in athletics, so I love that side. Um, And I went to uni and um, I was like, oh, where's the athletics stall? I was at Birmingham Uni and I was like, where's the athletics kind of like meet and greet? So I went at the start of the hall and tried to work it out. And then this gorgeous, hunky man came up to me. And the first stall was rowing. And he was like, have you ever thought about rowing? You're tall. And I was like, I don't even know what it is. Like, what is rowing? Because like, and then people still get confused now. They're like, oh, is that where you like kayak? And I'm like, no, that's not. That's kayaking um, <laughs> and canoeing. People get confused. And I was one of those people. I was like, I don't know what rowing is. Um, so I kind of took the leaflet and went on to find the athletic stall. And then um, I was a big, big party goer. Uh, okay. Uh, from like 14 years old. So when I went to uni, I was very much a drinker. I needed a social life with some sport. Okay. Um, I went to the athletic social and Birmingham Uni's like one, you know, it's a university of like high performance sport as well. So I went to the <laughs> athletic social and we were in bed by 10. And I was like, oh, this is not going to cut it for me. <laughs> You're like, Ooh, and no. then I was like, oh, I'll give this rowing thing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, I'm not going to bed. Like, I'm pre- Usually I pre-drink. I start pre-drinking at 10. Um, so I was like, oh, I'll go to a rowing one. And it was spot on. It, like, we did this really hard workout. It lasted about an hour. That was more than enough. And then we went out drinking all night. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm joining rowing. And that's how it started. <laughs> <laughs> I chose based on the social life. And I'm so glad I did that. <laughs> all right. See, so it all made it all good again. But like, okay, we're, granted, you were more social and partying. But still... I think you got pretty serious with rowing. There was like, I mean, you guys had a whole Olympic, what's the word? We would call it like Olympic pipeline, Olympic development here, but you guys call it something else. And you like tested into rowing, right? You got fast tracked into rowing. Yeah. So in, so I learned to row at uni and went through the ranks. And then um, when I finished uni, I was like, oh my God, I am not ready to go into work. Um, And I didn't even know what I wanted to do. Like literally I was like clueless. So I did, I started my PGCE uh, to be a teacher and I was like, do you know what? I'm just not ready for this. And then there was this Girls for Gold initiative okay. in 2019. Uh, not 2019, sorry. Go way back. 2009. <laughs> um, and my friend was like, Nick, you have to go. And I was like, oh, my God. So I went. And I kind of hit the cycling and the rowing criteria. And at the time, I didn't own a bike. So I was like, well, I'm not going to do the cycling. I'll do the rowing because I know how to row. Uh, so then I went into rowing full time. Um, I moved up kind of to uh, north way of England um and then that was uh not kind of what I wanted to do be in the north uh so I went down south where my friend was also on the system in Reading Caversham area and I loved it down there I was there for like four years what is the what is the system like when you say you like tested into this is very confusing to us here 
Like, so you like go and you do (laughs) a bunch of tests and then they say like, you're going to be good at rowing. Is that how that works? Yeah, pretty much. Like it's, it's a funny one rowing because you test on the ergo and on a kind of like weird cycling thing, but you're quite a lot of your main test is your arm, arm span (laughs) height. Uh, They want you at a certain height and your arm span, uh, they want your arm span longer than your height. Um, so that's kind of how they tested. And then I went on to the, what is called the world-class start system for rowing, which kind of feeds you into the GB rowing system, obviously, if you're good enough. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of my rowing. So that's the, like, <laughs> In a, that's fancy. Yeah. This feels very like scientific. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm not really a fancy scientific person, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. And I loved it. And if I, if I did not row, I would never, never would have been ready for triathlon. Rowing set me up for triathlon 100%. If probably more so mentally than, than anything else. Um, it's a brutal sport, like, so brutal. Like, the training we did, I think I still probably did more training rowing than I do triathlon. Really? Huh. <laughs> um, but you yeah, were... I reckon so. Like, and it's just, like, the one sport. But you were you were injured, though. Like, and I didn't even know that one could stress fracture one's ribs, but apparently this was a thing. <laughs> and so that's how you ended up fighting yeah, triathlon. Um, yeah. So- yeah, yeah, my friend was like, um, you know, I was out, out injured and I started actually teaching a bit um, on the side of rehabbing. And my friend was like, oh, I'm doing this half Ironman. And I was like, oh my God, what is that? And she described it and I was like, okay, well, I can't swim, so that's not going to, that's, that's, I'm not going to be able to do that with you. She's like, come on, just give it a go. And, you know, like, I bet most people got into sport because their friend right. kind of pulled them into it. And she definitely did that. She's like, come on, Nikki, since when have you turned down a challenge? And I was like, oh, go on then. And I was terrible in the swim, like literally came out last. My family had walked off. <laughs> I just made the cut off. Um, I bought a road bike for 150 pounds off eBay. I didn't even have water bottle cages on there. I didn't have any food on there. I didn't even know the distance of the bike. And I can remember getting off the bike thinking, I am starving. I was so hungry and thirsty. I was like, oh. <laughs> it's just a local one. So like, there wasn't any aid station. Oh, no. Um, but I, yeah, I just got the bug for it straight away. I loved it. So you kept um, doing them then from there. You bought another bike. You got some water bottles. Well, actually, I went back to rowing after okay. that. Um, and then I was like convinced I was going to carry on rowing. And then the following year, because I was a lightweight rower, um, which was fine for like the winter weight, but that's why I kept getting injured in the summer because the summer weight was just too low for me. So mm. it was like, I think it was 57 kilos for summer weight. But you kind of really needed to be 56 something because you couldn't weigh in at 57. Like you're not right. going to weigh in at 57 dead, are you? Um, so just too light for me and it's, yeah. Um, and I had to make weight. So my coach was like, you need to buy a pair of running shoes to start running as well to add some volume to your training. Um, so I was like, okay, so I bought these shoes from Wiggle and literally a month later I got this email saying, congratulations, you've won a place into the London marathon. I was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) And then my friend was like, you cannot turn that down. You do not know how hard it is to get a London marathon spot. And I was like, I have never run like more than like 45 minutes. Anyway, again, I got convinced to do it. Um, so I did the London marathon, uh, off. I did a few like runs to see if I could do two hours and then I was like, I'll just do it. Um, and I absolutely loved it. Still one of the best events I've ever done in my life. Um, and so then my friend was like, Oh, let's do an Ironman then this year. And then after that, I just 
got the bug for it too much and I was like I love this sport I'm gonna I'm gonna do this sport instead so then I stopped in 2012 rowing and started to travel sounds like this friend just was convincing you to do all kinds of crazy things (laughs) is this the same friend in all these stories yeah and it's funny because my parents aren't active they're just not sporty they love they come and support all my competitions but doing sport themselves is like a no um and my friend who convinced me to do triathlons bought her mum a triathlon race for her birthday. And my parents were like, you dare ever do that for us. Do not even think about it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so she's still a very good friend today. And I'm very thankful because I would never, never even got into the sport otherwise. And I met Bex, my other half, uh, through the sport as well. And she um, coaches you, which so, yeah, we, so. we've got to talk about your significant other coaching you because <laughs> I have questions. But... <laughs> on how that works <laughs> go for it <laughs> but first off i want to ask you so you got really into triathlon you're still just an age grouper i mean not that yeah. anyone's just an age group but you were yeah how long did it take you before you were like hey i'm actually pretty good at this uh i reckon i was about four years in age group life okay. but um the first time i met bex because uh the guy who was like oh you should definitely give triathlon a go um he was like but you need to go and learn how to swim um so he was like you're in you're at your parents in Cheltenham at the moment I know someone in Birmingham just up the road who could um help you out so that was bad so I met I went up and uh obviously coming from like an elite rowing background my ambitions were pretty high in a sport right. um and I met her and she was like okay like what are you aiming to do and I was like I want to be a pro triathlete and she's like okay let's let's uh do some uh you know, do a swim session. I was like, ooh, swim session. <laughs> and she was like, yeah. And I was like, uh, I'm not sure I can get to the other end of kind of like the pool at the moment. And she was like, what? Um, <laughs> so my first thing I did with her, it wasn't a session. It was just literally doing six 100 swimming. Um, and I was coming in on like 2.45 and going off five minutes. And I was exhausted. And that was it. That's all we did. And I was so tired. And she was like, so you want to be a pro? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to be a pro. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, uh, did she yeah, help so you? Yeah. Did she like give you tips then? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So then it's such a small world because then I went on a, my first triathlon camp, and um, she went out as a coach, and so we met again there. And then she was like, "Oh, you're still like hanging around the sport then?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be a pro." <laughs> <laughs> you're like, "No, I promise." Was, like, yeah. Su- <laughs> yeah. And our first, in fact, it was so funny. We woke up the next day. And they drove us out 3K down the beachfront. And the swim was to swim back to the hotel. And oh my God, I was like, what? I still can't swim. <laughs> so we got in the water and they all just buggered off, and including Bex. <laughs> and I, I was not even strong enough to stay in the sea. Like I kept getting washed to the shore. So then I'd like get back in. And then I just, it was that continuously for 3K. And it took me like nearly two hours. And she was the only person who waited for me at the end. Um, she was literally like, everyone's had breakfast and is on the bikes. <laughs> and I was there like, I will get to the end. All right. How long did it take you to learn how to swim then? Oh, God. I'm still in it now. Uh, like, yeah. I, it just is a slow progress, isn't it? When you only learn at like 24. Like, I mean, I'm. I could float and, you know, get to the shore if I needed to. But, like, I mean, literally swim technique and stuff just was non-existent until I started triathlon. Um, so, yeah, so it's a long progress. I have to do a lot of it. Um, I have to be – I have to really structure my training around it as well. So mm. I can't be – I need to go into my VO2 swim, which is 
the one I'm the weakest at and my CSS swim, you know, in the, not just my mind frame, but also like not smash, mm. which is great because they're both in the morning. Um, and so like, I can't say on a Monday night, do like a VO2 bike, which I found out the hard way and then try and do a VO2 swim the next morning. Um, so I have to really prioritize and protect those two sessions. <laughs> Otherwise it just becomes a flop. <laughs> Got it. Well, I just yeah, like a lot of, of our, um, well, I'm thinking about learning how to swim as an adult, right? Like a lot of our athletes, our readers, you know, this is obviously like a big issue for them, right? Like a lot of us, a lot of people learn how to swim as adults. So what is, what, what did you find? Like, was the, like, was it just swimming more? Or was it like, what was the key to, to really going from being a 245 hundred swimmer uh, to, you know, a 120 <laughs> or whatever? <laughs> a hundred percent being in a squad environment Mm. like that is a non-negotiable um and there's so many squads around you even if it's like okay you can't commit to all which obviously i can but if you're an age group listening you're like oh i can't commit to all of the squad swims i'll just prioritize those two hard swims a week um and just consistency so if like you're listening and you think i can only get to the pool twice a week just do that every week week weekend week out uh so i swim like five times a week in the winter then i probably four or five-ish times, 90-minute sessions, but squad it, squad swims where people will push you on with a coach on poolside to keep you accountable because the amount of times you can go to the pool, like today the squad are away at the moment on a uh, getting ready for a race in Poland. Uh, so I was like in there on my own. It's so much harder on your own. I was like, oh, I could cut this swim and no one would know. And no one would know. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> well, obviously, they, Bex would know. She'd be like, uh. Um, but yeah, just swimming with people like and like you get to practice all and like open water stuff as well is really important um i don't think people prioritize open water enough Hmm. um and just being like around people in open water and getting used to that's really important learning how to swim on feet learning how to swim well with someone smashing you next to you um that kind of stuff is really important and having structure every week in your swims so like i do like uh monday's a mixed pace swim tuesday's vo2 wednesday is endurance thursday css friday is open water focus Hmm. and i unless i'm desperate i will never swim at the weekend i think weekends (laughs) for me just no No, don't want to see it pulled okay (laughs) yeah unless it's a gorgeous open water venue i'd swim at a weekend but i'm not in i just hate pool swimming it's so boring um see so yeah, i'm trying to get into open water as much as possible okay all right don't you live in the uk isn't it like kind of cold open water swimming in the winter <sighs> i know yeah. um well we have a lake near here that can heat up really quick huh. uh so it got up to last week like 19 degrees pretty quickly um but also can go cold pretty quick hmm. um so yeah so i'll go in open water as much as possible all right. So how long you're sitting there telling Bex like, no, no, I'm going to be a pro, so a pro triathlete. How long, how about how, like, how long did it take before that actually was like, oh, okay, maybe that'll happen. Was it, it was like three years. Oh yeah. Four years as an okay. age grouper. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually, you know, when like pros used to go off with age groupers. Yeah. So it was, uh, I'm on Wimbleball 70.3, which I'm still gutted that's gone from the UK. Um, and the pros set off like hundred meters in front of us. And then we set off at the same time behind them. Um, and even in the swim, I call pro athletes, which is saying something. Um, but, the, the, you know, there was people in that race who I really looked up to. Um, so someone like Joe Carrot at the time, um, Ema Mullen was in that race. Um, and I was coming out of the swim with some of these people. So I was like, oh, God, my swim really has improved. Um, so I got out of the swim and I can remember my shifter fell off my bike like, 
five miles in. It's a really hilly course. Um, so I kind of just relaxed into the whole race and then I ended up coming second overall. Okay. And then I, that was the first kind of taste of, you know, just come second overall. I wasn't allowed to go on the podium, obviously, with the pros, but um, that was my first. And I won my age group by like 40 minutes or something. So I was like, okay, so maybe pros the next step for me. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of – and then I did the European age group champs that year and won that one. So I was like, okay, maybe I could give this pro life a go. <laughs> it's different in – the UK though, right? Like you guys have to like apply to become a pro and be accepted. Is that, cause like famously like Lucy got rejected originally, right? Like it's very hard over there. Yeah. There's like a criteria you have to hit mm. and then they've got, um, now specific races like the out to, to the outlaw races. I think if you win those outright, you get your pro license as well. Mm. Um, so there's, there's definitely criteria you have to hit. Um, uh, yeah. So, so I don't know what it was at that stage. Um, I think maybe because I won European age group champs that qualified me. That was good enough. But it's an ongoing development and they do, you know, make the criteria year on year based on where the sport's going as well. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely harder over there than it is here, for sure. For better or worse. But... Yeah, it's got so many... Yeah, we've got so many Brits. It's amazing. Like, yeah, yeah, just incredible. And uh, obviously all... or Not all, but almost all the pros, we say, the biggest thing that changed when they went from being age group to pro was the recovery time, right? That like focusing on recovery oh, and yeah. not just having, was that what the biggest change for you too? Or was it, because you, you had a full-time job otherwise, right? Like you were working. Yeah. So, um, I tried to do my first year as a pro carrying on working, working. So I worked mm. in sports PR, which for anyone who works at night, it's not, a like I was working part-time in that, but that it's just it's constant and I was like I can't do it. and it was even to the point where I think staff 70.3 was one of our biggest weekends with one of our clients and I was trying to work on social like on social media with a client in a no signal area whilst trying to do a pro race I was like I can't I literally, oh, no, literally no. I just want to be full-time you can't but yeah, recovery, and recovery. work an event it doesn't work it doesn't go well <laughs> no and your attention span's not properly on either. Um, and so, yeah, so I, 100% it's the recovery time. Um, hmm. Like, I'll finish, and I'll, I'll actually structure when I'm recovering the next, like, so tomorrow, I'll look at my tomorrow training and I'll be like, okay, if I want to do that successfully, I need to be led down, switched off from technology, you know, between 10 and 11 or whatever it is. Um, and that's the luxury of it, of it. And, you know, days where I don't have to set an alarm because my, I sleep better not knowing that I have to get up at a specific time. Right. I mean, obviously that's not every day and that's not an everyday luxury, but, um, yeah, like if I can just let my body sleep for as long as it wants, um, you know, like I'm waking up and people have done a session, got to work and put the kids in school. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it, that is it is that is one of the parts. And if if you don't take advantage of that, I don't think you're going to get the most out of your sessions. Right. And it took you a little. So you went pro. I'm trying to think of the timeline. You like started doing age group races in 2012 ish. Went pro in 2015 ish, and you won your first Ironman title, Ironman Lanzarote, in 2019. Right. Yeah, it took okay. me like four years. <laughs> That's not that. I mean, it's, there's some like it can take a really long time for a lot of people to find like to win that 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 first big mm-hmm. one. Oh yeah, and um, if it had to wait for Ironman Lanzarote, then it's worth the wait because it's a very iconic and it was brutally hot and windy day. I mean, every day's hot and windy there, but it really was. Um, 
yeah, I think there wasn't many people who kept their disc wheel on, which I was rubbing my hands up because I was like, mm, yeah, I don't believe the disc wheel comes off in the wind, to be honest. It's okay. the front. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, it took me, I'm a slow progressor. Like I just get a little bit better each year, like tiny, tiny. Um, and yeah, it is often the reality of, of anything in, in sport is very small baby steps, um, each year. Um, and you know, it's important to share that because some people progress a lot quicker, but Mm -hmm. the reality is it's often a very, very slow progression um with a lot a lot of setbacks um <laughs> and yeah it's just, it's it's uh it keeps you humble um like St George for me was it just didn't go to plan at all um I lost a lot of confidence because I was like because I had a terrible winter of kind of long COVID issues um and, you know a lot I know on the outside a lot of people would have been like oh you know Nikki's not had the best winter but still went was that the right thing to do? But I only went because I knew I was ready to go. Um, mm. But obviously I didn't really show it on race day. Um, right. So then you start questioning yourself and I'm like, no, I knew I was fit enough to go. Like I was so fit. And so yeah, I had to really dig for some belief and self-confidence going into, and I was like a bit on edge with my bag. Cause everyone's like, you are mad doing a 70.3 two weeks after with jet lag. <laughs> um, so I was like, I had all these people like, you sure this is the right thing to do? And then obviously I thought if my bay doesn't go well, then God, that's going to knock me. Um, but I was like, no, I'm going to go because I feel good. Like I recovered really quickly from the race because I didn't really race it. Um, mm. It was more the, the sleep deprivation really for that race. Um, in fact, I was going to go and do another 70.3 this weekend. Bex like, okay, we need to Yeah, maybe you shouldn't. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, maybe yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I have actually pulled myself off the list, so I'm not actually tempted. So I've pulled myself off this weekend, 70.3, and I'm at Hamburg to fix on Frankfurt. Um, okay. So yeah. it's like a slow progress, lots of ups and downs. What was the biggest Very down? Slow. What was the biggest, like, opposite, like you know, God. setback? Yeah. I think this winter, actually. Um, really? That was probably the biggest challenge. It got to the point where I even said... I don't mind if I don't compete ever again. I just need to be pain-free. I was in so mm. much pain. I couldn't, like, there's no way I could sit down. I didn't I didn't really sit down for, like, three months. Um, it was horrific. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't do anything. Because, like, cause I, was, I was completely off cycling and running for, like, I think it was 10 weeks cycling, 12 weeks running. Uh, and I could only really swim, which is, like, oh, God, just swim. Um, and then it got to a point where I couldn't even swim. Um... And it was just so painful. And it was just, it, you know, like if you're out injured, there's always something you can focus on, which is for me, swim, that's great. But when you can't then take advantage of that time and go and see family and friends and stuff, because I literally couldn't sit in the car seat. Oh, really? Um, Bex was like my taxi driver everywhere. Um, so I think that was like the hardest time because I was like, I just need to be pain free. Um, and yeah, like it was, it was grim. Um, huh. So yeah, I think this winter has been a really difficult time for me um but bounce back so it's all good uh, yeah, <laughs> i think i think um definitely this <laughs> definitely this winter it, it, yeah without going too much into detail it was painful <laughs> okay okay uh, i mean and obviously it's coming off the back of covid um because you win you know you get your your big iron win then we go into covid then you get injured like there's how did you kind of have to adjust and cope with because in the uk you guys were pretty locked down for a pretty long time yeah, we were. Um, I didn't know. Uh, I did something a bit funky. So I bought a Spider-Man outfit 
And I okay. just went running all the time in this outfit to, to spread some joy, um, <laughs> which worked because we were having like kids events requests and all this stuff. Um, so yeah, we just did some funky stuff and it was just a period of time to um, kind of experiment a bit of training and just really knuckle down without traveling. Um, so yeah, the lockdown here was pretty crazy and I actually think it hit me how crazy it was like when, because like we've only recently really stopped lateral flow testing and stuff to get into mm. squad swims. And it got to the point where I was like, I might actually find another squad to swim with because I can't bear to do all these tests and carry on this crazy lifestyle anymore. Um, so yeah, it, 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 you know, it gets to a point where you're like, I can't, I can't keep doing these COVID tests and all this. So I think it hits you. Cause like at the period, at the first instance, it's all new, isn't it? It's all like, Oh, I don't know what this is. It's lockdown life. And then you do it for like a year and then, and then it comes on to the next year and like, Oh my God. Um, you know, like in the pool, we'd have to start opposite ends of the pool. Yeah. And yeah. We were doing stuff. that for a while. Yeah. And you're just like, you can do it for a bit. But then like, you know, in the last, you know, like wearing masks always in the poolside and stuff, even right up to like the last couple of, like on the flights, I always wear it on the flights and airports now mm-hmm. going forward. But it, you don't realise how much it's mentally taken a toll. And, you know, I think over the last couple of months, I was like, oh, my God. And then you get COVID yourself and like, oh, great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, yeah, it, it, we did have a quite a harsh lockdown here. Um, mm. But, yeah, I was very fortunate because at the time I was on British Triathlon mm. um, support and funding. So I was allowed access into the pool. So I was very, very fortunate that oh, I didn't good. miss too much swimming in that time. Um, so very thankful for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, and obviously it was a tough time. we, uh, we're going back to, and you live with your coach. So that's, uh, both good and bad, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like how does say, that work? I'm yeah. an easy athlete. <laughs> I mean, um, I think I would like to say like, she pretty much writes it and I'll crack on and there'll be times where I'm like, Ooh, uh, I feel okay. I can push on a bit more or, Bex, I'm, like it takes a lot for me to go. I think I'm quite smashed actually. Um, but like Bex knows just looking at me whether to push me on or not. Like she'll mm-hmm. look and be like, "Oh God, you look a mess." So we're gonna not do that session or take take that session out today. Um, so it works really well in two ways really because she can look at how I am um, and she knows me the best anyone knows me really. Um, so yeah, it works really well. I have a hundred and ten percent complete utter faith and confidence in what she provides me of training um and i just crack on really yeah <laughs> I just crack I on, really. so yeah yeah bex what? has coached me now for two years uh rob cheatham picked me up and coached me susan cheatham's husband um and kind of without him picking me up when i was starting pro life like i definitely wouldn't be where i am today like i'm very thankful for them um for those four four-ish years we were together um and yeah, like and Beck's now been my coach for the last couple of years. It's worked worked really well. Yeah, I'm always like I, I'm I'm always like oh man, it's got to be like an interesting relationship <laughs> when you uh, with your significant other and being your coach. Like, are there other times where you're just like, no, you're wrong. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> there are very few like there's sometimes where she's like, you need to get up and crack on now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, like, I'd say more so, she's like reining me in, like, no, mm. calm down. Um, 
yeah, uh, yeah, I think it works really well. We haven't, we haven't ever come into any difficulty in the last two years of it. Really, there's never been a time where I'm like, no, um, and there's never been a time she's really annoyed at me. She'll have to rein me in from because I just love to race. Like, it. if it was up to me, I'd race this weekend at seventy point three, and then I'm on Hamburg, and then I'm on Frankfurt. Whereas she's like. <laughs> If you want to get where you want to get to at World Champs 70.3 in end of October, you can't race too much now. So that's probably where she comes more into it's just like reining me in, Nikki. Like, no, you can't do every race every weekend. Right, right. (laughs) That's really true. I guess we also, I mean, we do see a lot of husband-wife kind of partnership or coaches and often, you know, agents, managers, that kind of thing. I think it's it's less common in try that we see same-sex relationships kind of in this coach dynamic. Yeah. Um, I think we're starting to see more. Do you do you ever feel like, I don't know, does it ever come up? Or are you, you feeling like you have to like set an example for other people? Or is it just kind of like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Nobody, nobody asks questions. Yeah. We are very relaxed people and we just crack on. Like, crack. I don't think we ever think, oh my God, we need to like promote we are same sex right. relationship and kind of coach athlete too. Uh, but I'm very open. Like I'll talk about anything and everything to the point that it's like, oh my God, you need to like stop sharing. You're an oversharer. In fact, quite a lot of my friends say, Nikki, you're an oversharer, which is, you know, it's fine. Um, so I'll just say how it is. Like on social, I'll always say thank you to Bex and stuff. And, you know, people ask me questions like, oh God, what do you tell Bex if she tells you to go out and do a five hour ride and you can't be bothered uh, kind of thing. So I'm, I'm pretty open to sharing whatever feelings I have. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true of a lot of triathletes i feel like you know there's a lot of sharing a lot of yeah a lot of yep. sharing a lot of talk a lot of chat especially on social <laughs> these days um, i know but then i talked to taylor Niv the other day and she's like no no social she just does her thing so you can be yeah. one or the other you know i think whatever you're happiest at don't force yourself to be someone mm. you're not um if you don't want to do it you know uh, i it's me i love I love it because I love chatting to people. So I love, I generally love hearing people's stories. Um, and I do feel very fortunate. That I've got a great loyal following. Um, like for instance, uh, I'd get the lot that I got the same likes and comments on, I use Facebook mainly on that page for my win. than I did for not performing how I wanted to at St. George. And right. I love that. I love, and I also love replying to everyone. Um, so I don't do many posts, but I try and reply to everyone and I get a lot of private messages and try and reply to them. And I just love it. Like for instance, this weekend, um, there was a woman who came up to me. She was like, Oh, Nikki, Nikki, it's me. It's Anna. Um, and it took me a while to click who Anna was. And then I clicked who she was. And the story is, um, Anna went to watch her friend, Sarah, at Ironman Lanzarote the year I won. Oh, okay. And we went, we always go back to that last hour. And Lanzarote is weird because, like, if you've won, you go back and help hand out medals. Lanzarote don't want you on the finish line. They're like, go away. So oh, I'm really? like, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll just go and watch people because I love to watch the finishers. Um, so we, and there's a girl called Sarah, who's Anna's friend. Um, and this Sarah was hunched. I call her hunchback and she doesn't mind. She calls herself hunchback. Like, she'll <laughs> always come on my posts and go, love hunchback. And she was in the last 10K, literally 90 degree angle, hunched over to the finish line. And I was like, oh my God. And her friend who watched Anna didn't do triathlons at all. And she was so inspired. She then signed up and then she was at Marbella as well. And it was like her sixth triathlon race. I was like, oh my God, how amazing is that? That is literally 
for me, that's what it's all about. Um, so I love stories like that, and I'll try and remember as much as possible who people are. Um, so yeah, so I love that side of the sport. That's kind of awesome. That's like, how often do people come up and like, uh, you know, want to tell you their story, hug you, get your autograph? Uh, I like to give myself quite a bit of time to go and rack <laughs> for, for okay. those reasons. I love to talk to people and um, I will take a lot of time to talk. Like if I do like one post a week, that post and yeah, yeah. interaction around it can, you know, take hours. Um, and I, <laughs> I love that side, but it comes, but it comes naturally to me. It's not forced. Um, I love to chat to people. In fact, that's probably when Bex has a go at me the most is when she's like, you need to quit, like in the pool, like we're just, me and Claire, we're just like, rah, 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 talking to each other. She's like, hurry up or you've missed your turnaround. <laughs> so that's probably when I get told off the most is when I talk too much. Um, okay. So that bit comes naturally to me. So I, I literally don't mind. And I don't care how long that takes me. Um, whereas for other people, they're like, oh my God, no, I don't want to talk to you. So then I think just, yeah, I don't think you should be someone who you are not on social media because right, you right, think right. that's what yeah. you should be doing. Um, I think just be yourself. Yeah. Um, but then what if like, what if myself's just like a bitch, you know, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> then that's why I mean, you're not. But, um, <laughs> All right. So you hinted though, that <laughs> you have big, uh, big goals for 70.3 worlds. Is that your big target race for the rest of the year? Is that the, the a race, the yeah, goal? So I really want to do well at, I really want to do well at Frankfurt. I'm not going to hide okay. and shy away from that. I'm going to do some of the PTO races. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to do well at Swansea because it's a home race. Um, obviously, I want to do well at all of them. But um, <laughs> yeah, World 70 Point. What was it like? Because last year we did Tokyo. So I was a guide at Tokyo. Right. Um, and we came back for like five days, jet like out, and then went back out to World 70.3s. Quite a last minute decision to definitely do that. So we didn't have the best prep going into that race. Um, and uh, I came ninth, uh, which I was really proud of. Um, but I know there's a lot more in me. Uh, I had a horrendous swim that day. I think it's actually my worst ever swim I had that day. Um, and I know my swim's way better than that. Um, so yeah, I know there's a much better performance in me. And I love that course. And I was very, very proud to come ninth. Um, so I have bigger, obviously, if you go want right. better ambitions. Um the following year so i'm glad i got my slot at marbella and yeah uh, I, and I love that course um and we have the best homestays there so we're going back again it's like it's time we live at that house <laughs> you like to stay at st george um, all year yeah i know and i love the climate there like i hmm. love it like i re- i actually really struggle with uk weather um oh interesting that's no secret I'm, I'm always moaning about our UK weather. I mean, we've come back, it's like 11, 12 degrees. I'm like, it's nearly June. <laughs> like I, I ran with gloves yesterday and today. Um, so yeah, so I love like those kind of climates, like 30 degrees. In fact, I'm looking at, because like I, we did a camp this year in Europe and we only, we can only stay in Europe for eight, uh, uh, 90 days every 180 days. So it refreshes, mm. but I've actually quite screwed myself over a bit with spending too much time on camps mm. in, over winter so i'm looking at an american winter camp next year um it'll be expensive but it'll be worth it i love yeah and i like, i'm looking at tucson ish um tucson ish okay the client ish somewhere america which is hot basically <laughs> um but not florida yeah exactly. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so, so you want to win yeah, all of so, them, or you want to do well at all of them, but 70.3 worlds is the big goal. <laughs> you say win. I just want to win at all of them. <laughs> I just want to win all of them. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. 70.3 is a big good. I've qualified for Kona. Um, I'm going to see how the year goes, but I've, it's quite tricky with Kona, and then three is it two or three weeks later, world 70.3s. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like I, I love racing a 70.3 two weeks after, all two weeks before an Ironman. Um, three weeks will be a bit of a weird time. Um, but it's just the cost of like, if we went to Kona and staying out and then St. George, like it's insane. Mm-hmm. So I think I'd like to prioritize one of them. Um, so we shall see. Uh, it's interesting. More and yeah. more pros are starting to, I mean, the cost has always been high for Kona. It's always, that's always been like the reality, but I think with more options now, more and more people are starting to be like, eh, maybe it doesn't make sense. You know, at least like thinking about it. So kind of interesting yeah uh, and yeah. I, I just love St George um, and yeah I love the I love that run course so much um, is it going to be the same so yeah, this year so with the as, as last year I hope so hmm. I hope so I really really hope so um, I'd love that um, okay. I actually don't know I haven't, haven't looked <laughs> um, yeah I don't think they've announced yeah, it yet so I know okay. yeah oh they're not okay um, but yeah I, I can't wait to go back there Already looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you, what's your like big goal for your pro for like, what is the, you know, when you told uh, Bex you were going to become a pro triathlete, what was your like big <laughs> thing you wanted to achieve? Do you know what? I think it shifts every year. Okay. Like when I first got in, I was like, I want to come like top five at Kona. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's actually like it is a funny thing, isn't it? What will result in happiness for you? Like, <laughs> like I won at the weekend, but it's not changed happiness. Like, I want to make an impact on the sport for other people. That's what I want to do. Um, I want myself and Bex to do that at some point as well as a team. Um, I want to step away just knowing I've just done everything I can to be the best athlete I can be. So whether that's a podium, a top five, top ten. But I also, and I will always now go forward doing this, go to races which motivate and inspire me because that's what gets the best out of my performance. Mm. Um, And those decisions, like doing Frankfurt, it's a bucket list race for me. So that would be my decision. Um... And I know if I do that, it will get the best out of myself in performance. Um, and I love seeing new places. Like, literally, I think, going to St. George. Like, we decided, so basically, leading up to Paralympic Games, the athlete I was guiding got injured, and it became a very rocky time. And that's own, that was, like, the reason I started looking at other... I was like, well, what can I then mm-hmm. aim for myself? And then I started to look at St. George and I was like, oh my God, St. George World Champs looks amazing. And Beck's like, it's in six weeks. Like, we've not done any prep for this and you're about to go to Tokyo for a month and you can't really come out of your hotel room. Right. Um, and I was like, but it looks epic. And I ha- I didn't have great prep going in. I was seriously sleep deprived, but the course got the best out of me on the race day. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think you should go to places which, you know, just have happy memories. Like, I think sometimes we can take it, as, I don't want to say especially as a pro, but I think sometimes you can suck 
the life out of it if you don't enjoy it. And it should be fun. Uh, you should be having a good time around the race. You shouldn't just lock yourself away and not see the surroundings. Um, See, so yeah, I want to continue in my pro career to go to races which really inspire me and motivate me. Um, I want to continue to be someone who can help others in the sport. Um, I will take a lot of my time in the week to respond to people. And if that makes someone do a race or inspires them to go out and do a 5K or something like that, that means a lot more to me. Um, like okay. when people like, like Anna, who I saw at the race and was like, didn't do triathlon at all. And now it's absolutely transformed her life. Like that touches me more um, because essentially that's how I got into the sport as well. And it's how I met Bex. It's where it's taken us in the world. It's brought us to Loughborough where we found an extremely happy lifestyle here. We train very hard, but we also have a very good social life. We have an amazing friendship group here. Um, you know, we've like it is like as a pro triathlete, it's hard to get mortgage and stuff, but we've got ourselves a mortgage. We're you know, nearly paid not nearly paid well, we're very far through paying it off. Um, I see that as a huge success because we can make this a sustainable lifestyle. Right. Um and yeah, I just I just yeah, I think happiness isn't just the winning part, it's getting the best out of yourself. If I like St. George last year, I came ninth and I felt like a, like, like I'd won it kind of thing. You know, like the same <laughs> thing you get with a win, I felt that coming ninth. And some people would be like, oh God, you, you know, are you happy with that? I'm like, oh my God, I'm literally over the moon. And it was actually really weird because I stepped over the finish line. And actually I heard Jess Limoff say this in the podcast once when she stepped over the line in the Olympics and she come, would she come eighth? Um, and I stepped over the line and came ninth. And I was literally, like, jumping around, beaming. <laughs> um, I went over to Lucy Charles and gave her a hug. Um, congratulated all the girls. But there were so many people there who just looked like they'd been slapped over the heads, like, and just didn't, <laughs> just wasn't happy at all. And Jess said this about, you know, people just look really down on the finish line. I'm like, it's the best thing ever. We're at world champs. Just come ninth. Um, but it's because I got all what I could out of myself on race day. And I, right. I got what I kind of wanted. Um, yes, I knew I could do better because I had the most horrific swim. Like I came out and I was like, bloody hell, I haven't swam that slow in so long. <laughs> I was like, I literally feel like I'm last. Um, but I had the best day, the best fun lead up and the best after, after. And for me, that was a massive success. And it probably is still one of my biggest achievements to date. And people are like, okay. oh, ahead of the win. I'm like... Yeah, actually, it was ahead of, you know, some, some wins I've had. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think we just need to keep reminding ourselves why we got into sport. Um, not put too much pressure on it and trap yourself away at races and that kind of stuff. And there's so many amazing people in the sport, like so many friendships you make, the people you meet. And I think, and yeah, just like, and it also brings people together. Like my family comes to watch races and so the Bex's family, aunties and uncles, friends, and you're all just there together and it's just like one big happy family. Um, <laughs> and do you know what? A lot of people don't actually give a crap where you come. Like at St. George, World Champs, I was like, this day could not be going worse if it tried. It, well, the only way it could have been worse for DNF'd. Um, <laughs> and the people who were cheering me were cheering me like I was winning. And I was like, oh, yeah, this yeah. is amazing. You are amazing. You're helping me get through this. Um... 
And people so, don't really like pay that much attention. Like you think they do, yeah. But like, I mean, they don't. No, you they don't really know. I learned more about myself at St George <laughs> than I did my win at Marbella. Like, okay, I learned so much that even through literally, I blew up in the bike two hours in. Like, I had no energy. I came out on the bike, and I was like, I can't even push my easy riding watts properly here. Um, and I was like, what is going on? Like, this is ridiculous. Um, and, yeah, like, I learned so much more about myself because I got through seven hours of something, which, in my head, I made every excuse to stop in that right, race. I was right. like, I could DNF because of this, 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 this. And I was reading it all off. And I was like, no. And then I got onto the run, and, like... I don't want to give a percentage because it's hard to say percentage-wise, but you know where people want to be in that race. I think Justin Mm -hmm. Metzler was the first person I saw, and I was like, I know he's not in the place he wants to be. He's still going. Um, And I was like, so many other people, like Lindsay Corbin I saw, I was like, she's definitely not having the day she wants. So many people like that. And I'm like, but they're still going. Um, And actually learn so much more about yourself on those days than than your wins. Like, it was so weird because I got onto the bike at Marbella, and I was like, I feel great. I bet I'm around race watts. And I was like 30 watts above where I wanted to be. And I was like, but I feel so good. This is so, my God, this feels so easy because I'd had that absolute crap show at St. George where I felt horrific all day. It actually makes the good times so much greater. Um, Doesn't it make you crazy that you don't know which day you're going to feel great and which day you're going to feel terrible? That always makes me crazy. I know. Crazy. And went I wish all you the way knew. to America, spent ridiculous amounts of money for your body to be like, actually, don't fancy it today. <laughs> you're like great one um, to be honest that doesn't happen too often to me I'm not going to mm. lie like that doesn't happen too often so actually that's why I learned more about myself that day because I've never mm. had to quite dig that deep and it will be the race that I'll always reflect on so if I'm hurting in a race I'll be like no nope, you're definitely not hurting as much as you were at St George so man up um, and yeah obviously Bex was there on the sidelines like you're doing amazing I'm like I feel horrific <laughs> I literally I'm struggling and we're about a K into the run. <laughs> I was like... Right, right. And then I was like, it's okay, I can walk it. And I was like, God, I worked out. I was like, I'll be here forever if I walk. And then... Yeah, yeah, you started to do that. You're like, I'm never going to feel like this is going to take forever. <laughs> like, I know. And like, actually, I still don't know how I ran the time I did because it felt like 10-hour marathon. It was going on and on. And I can remember running past the finish line. And I was like, oh, my God, it's just there. And then I start to mentally think of how far I've got to go away and come back to get there. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I think just, and, but, and it's funny cause actually a lot of people are like, oh, like you, you know, you didn't have a, uh, the day you wanted, so you couldn't have enjoyed the trip. I loved our trip. It was amazing. Absolutely loved it. Um, so actually it's about enjoying it, you know, cause those days where you don't feel great are going to come. Um, so keep remembering your why and, and why all you right. do it. So that was the hardest day. Then I want to ask you, since you're all about fun, Last question. What is the most fun that you've had then in triathlon? Oh my God. It's got to be like, just train. Like I love going on training camps with fun people. Like we okay. went, to, we went to, I mean, it's not the most fun I've had, but I love training <laughs> with people and just having a lot of bands around it. Like we, I have a training program, but actually if some people will look at my training and be like, God, why are you doing a three and a half hour run? Well, actually they've not looked at the context. They've gone for a three and a half hour run hike thing in the peak districts it's gorgeous like we'll make decisions in training because i enjoy that not mm. specifically because i think i need to go for a three and a half hour run because i don't need to go for a three and a half hour run but i would do that because i really enjoy it and um, so like uh lucy gossage doesn't live too far away i mean we're going to the peaks this weekend to do a brick session 
but it's not really, it's nothing specifically structured in it because the peaks are so up and down. Like sometimes huh. I can come away with a normalized power of like 220, 230, but I haven't done a session. It's just because some of the climbs you have to push so hard to get up them. Um, Interesting. But for some people that's quite stressful because there's no specific, there's no specific, specific, oh my God, I can't say the word. You know what I mean? There's no, yeah. So <laughs> I like to do training, which is on happiness as well. Um, and I did my rehab in uh, a place called Torrebecki this year with, and there was just like four of us who went away on this camp, but we got on really well. We had a load of banter and the training just comes really easily. Um, and that's kind of stuff I like to do. I like to be put into places where I'm really happy with the people I'm around and just have a laugh around it because I love triathlon so much, but it doesn't just all consume me. Like I do like to do other things in life. Um, it's, we love our area because the local pubs are amazing um, we go like to go to the pub once or twice a week. Like I'm not getting drunk in there and stuff. We just have a nice meal and just enjoy okay, the surroundings. Good. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, so I think just do whatever makes you happy. Like what I do m- will not make someone else really happy. Um, and I love putting myself in the sunshine. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I am just another person when the sun is shining. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, I like to ha- happiness choices, basically. Happiness choices. Okay, go. happiness In, training. After all there that we go. waffle, I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, fast forward and happiness choices. Happiness. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. And what is the thing you said, just said you have, like to do things outside of triathlon. What's your favorite happiness thing outside of triathlon then? I do like, I'm a big foodie, so I love to cook. Okay. And I'm slapdash. Okay. I don't follow any recipes which is fine for like your main meal, but can go wrong in like the pudding side. Um, but we yeah. love to eat out. Like we eat out a lot. Um, like that's where we put a lot of our money <laughs> eating out. Yeah, I don't yeah, care yeah. how much it costs as long as it's good food. Um, so we just go out and eat out at the pub with friends. Um, okay. That's what we like to do the most. And our dog Titch is a very important part of our life. Um, so we go on like walk hikes with her. We'll go for like a run in the peaks and she'll sleep with us. And then we go out for a walk afterwards with her and just we love exploring new places um like we like a lot of like the ultra run type running um right, right, right so we like to be like okay this weekend i've got a long run on sunday let's plot a route somewhere completely random in a different place and we'll go and drive to it and run it and then go to the cafe after we put we <laughs> need a cafe very, and get food <laughs> yeah we need a very simple life we like to have adventure enjoy what we do and we love food. So okay. that's kind Straight of like our biggest there you go. <laughs> Really yeah. simple. Really simple. Um, okay. Yeah, well, that um, kind of summarizes me. <laughs> there you go. Got it. Done. Sounds like fun, though. You know, yeah. it's enjoyable. It's happy. Um, yeah. Well, okay. On that note, uh, I think, like, sounds like you should, you know, get back to it. Get, stay happy. Uh, have fun. Thanks so much yeah. for, for chatting with us. And, uh, and hopefully we'll, you know, see you enjoying some races later this year. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate it because you actually contacted me last week before a win. So you haven't just right. contacted me off the back of the win. And also <laughs> through, obviously, Triathlete, we're going through a, a difficult time. Um, yes. So I just want to thank you for reaching out. Thanks to Sid and to Nikki and to Hammerhead. And thanks to all of you. Keep training and keep listening. <laughs>